From Migration Media, this is Migratory Patterns. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. Katie Sewell used to be, as she says, one of those get a great job and hang on to it kind of people. That is, until she got an opportunity to move to Rome, where her best friend from childhood, Tiffany Parks, had been living for several years. A senior producer at NPR's Seattle affiliate, Katie decided to jump at the chance for adventure and turn her experience into creating a podcast. Their show, The Bittersweet Life, has been on the air ever since and has become one of the most popular shows about the expat life, as it's documented their respective journeys as migrants. This week, Katie talks with me about what it was like to make the transition from a person with a career to life as a podcasting entrepreneur, the hesitancy of long-term expats to get to know short-term folks, her migration back to and within the U.S., and how her show has evolved to not so much ask, what's it like to live overseas, to ask, what's it like to live, and what kind of life do you want for yourself? I had so much fun recording this conversation because Katie is one of the people who inspired me to take the leap and start making this show, so I'm incredibly grateful for her taking the time out of her very busy schedule to chat with me. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Katie Sewell. Katie Sewell, welcome to Migratory Patterns. Thanks so much for having me. Where is home? That is such a difficult question, Mike. <laughs> I used to know the answer to that question. I asked the hard-hitting uh, questions on this show. That's right. Uh, <laughs> home used to be, I used to always think of it as Seattle, Washington uh, in the United States. And then I quit my job and I moved to Rome. And ever since then, I've been moving around a lot. So where is home is kind of an ongoing search and question at this point. I suspect it still might be Seattle, Washington, but I'm not sure. Oh, I like that. I think you're the first person that actually isn't quite sure. Everyone's got a kind of answer and they're all different, but usually people come around to some version of this is where I am now and then they'll put conditions on it. But you're the first one that's been like, yep, I don't know. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much true. Yeah. You know where I, I know is not home is where I'm currently living, which is San Francisco, California. <laughs> and it has been my home for about a year and a half, almost two years. But very early on, probably within a couple months, I knew that I would not stay here forever. Like I wasn't going to try to put down any kind of roots. Well, those are expensive roots to put down in San Francisco. Like they'd have to be gold lined. Yeah, that's part of the problem. <laughs> I'm glad I tried it, though. Glad I tried it. I'm I'm kind of in a similar situation to you. Um, you know, I'm transitioning between Beijing, which has been my home for 11 years, and w- my wife and I are relocating to Bali. And I, I, we had a conversation on on the show, and I've had it, you know, with other people. When it comes to places that I live, I'm kind of a serial monogamist. I, you know, I lived when I moved out of my mother's place. I moved five blocks down the street and lived there for you know twelve years, and then I lived in Beijing for uh, eleven years. And now we're doing this new lifestyle where she's a teacher, and we might be up and moving every couple few years. And I don't know how I'm gonna be able to handle that. Mm, you may find that you end up a totally different person. Yeah, we'll see. yeah, yeah. That's gonna be weird. It's a, definitely a. a, a pathway of discovery for me. So uh, you've been moving around a lot. So Seattle is home. How did you get from Seattle to where you are now? Uh, to, to San Francisco specifically? Yeah. You, or... lived, o- you lived overseas in Rome and, and that's how yeah. we know you from your, your show, which you, did you start that in Rome? Did you start it before you got there or when you got there? No, it started in Rome. Yeah. yeah after I got there. So how, about what was that? Six months in actually. Yeah. What was that process like going, deciding to go from Seattle to Rome? 
So that would have never happened if I hadn't gotten married. Um, because I was a, uh, kind of like you in a way I was a get a great job, work your way up, hold on to it kind of person. And I had gotten a great job and I was working my way up. I was working for public radio in Seattle and I'd been there for at least a decade, if not more. And I had risen to the ranks, like through the ranks to become their, their most senior level producer. And I was on track to become a somewhat regular host. I was already on, but I, I really wanted to take over in some way. And then my husband, my new husband at the time, got this opportunity to study abroad in Rome for just one year. And it was going to be, we weren't going to make money from it, but they were going to cover all the living expenses and that sort of thing. And that's a pretty awesome opportunity. I mean, yeah. When do you get to go to live in Rome for free? It just doesn't happen. And we didn't have anything tethering us to Seattle. You know, my family lives there, but beyond my job, that was the only thing that was going on. He had just gotten done with grad school. So he didn't have a job. We didn't have any pets. We were just renting an apartment. You know, we just had nothing tying us there uh, specifically. And it just felt like something we couldn't pass up. And so I made the very belabored decision to quit my job and go to Rome, which was not easy yeah. to do at that Yeah. Point. So, was it just a happy coincidence that your childhood friend was living in Rome? Yeah, it's just a happy coincidence. Yeah, isn't that strange? It really is. Uh, yeah, I think that actually probably helped my decision to go because it's like the universe kind of uh, telling you this is where you're supposed to go. <laughs> right. And I hadn't even really traveled much in Europe by that time. The one place I had been before, like one city I knew well was Rome because I'd been there for her wedding a year prior. And so, or maybe a year and a half prior. But so it was like a place I felt familiar with where I knew somebody. And I think, yeah, that helps because. Like you too, I'm not one to keep moving around. I, you know, that kind of outside of my comfort zone was not the person I was at that time. So after your one year in Rome, uh, you said it was for one year. Did you spend just the one year, or did, was it did it last longer? No, just one. Yeah, we tried to figure out how to make it last longer, but we couldn't figure out financially how to pull it off. Yeah. So we had to yeah. go at that point. And then yeah. you went back to San Francisco, where you are now. No, we went back to Seattle because we were from Seattle at that point. Uh, went back to Seattle, and I freelanced there for a year. Um, what was that? What was that like? Did you the- have like? Um, uh, did you have the reverse culture shock? I mean, uh, you know, obviously, when you left Seattle, you had your job, and you were a steady, yeah. steady career woman, which uh, is pretty amazing. But then you did the Rome thing, and then you come back, and none of that is there anymore. I know. Yeah. Um, yes. The, uh, yes, I did. In so many ways, actually, because I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was the same person at all anymore. Um, I'd spent the whole year exploring my artistic side and stuff, trying to recover all that is lost when you have a job that is an art, but that you do every single day. I was trying to sort of get more in touch with what I, what I wanted to be doing. And then when I got, so I felt like I had changed a lot, not to mention the fact that I had gotten to know Europe in a much more familiar way. And then here I was back in Seattle and we actually had sublet our apartment. So I wasn't only back in Seattle, I was back in the exact same place I'd been living before. Wow. And, and it had all those weird things where I'm sitting in the office working one day and I, this man and his little black dog go by outside the window. And I realized that that man and his little black dog had been going by that window for years at about the same time. And 
I had been gone and gone through this huge life-changing thing, and he had still been going past that window every single day. So it made me feel like nothing had changed. <laughs> and even for the people that I, my friends in Seattle, for me, it felt like I'd been gone forever. For them, it felt like I'd been gone just a little tiny bit, and I was back. Not to mention the fact of the job. So that that job, public radio is this monolith if you're a radio person, which is what I am. And so to be in the same city with all those same friends and colleagues and not be working there was very strange, very strange. Wow. You know, it's funny what you described is kind of like the exact reverse of what kind of happens or what I've noticed and what people have talked to me about what happens with with expats and migrants who live overseas, there's kind of this weeding out process that happens with expats is that mm-hmm. uh, people will go overseas and they'll come home after one year for a visit. Usually that's how it works. And then they'll get home and they'll notice that, like you just said, the same guy walking the same dog is happening out in front and nothing's changed. Or they'll notice there have been changes. Like people have got new relationships or maybe babies have been born or weddings have happened. And they realize that life has kind of gone on without them. Like the, the just everything about their home has continued on and evolved without them being there. And that causes an even more profound sense of separation and they can't handle it and they will, they'll give up on the moving overseas. But the way you were talking about it, it sounded like almost kind of the opposite thing was happening in your brain. Like you went back, you went back and everything was the same and you were like, wait a minute. (laughs) Hasn't anybody else had something life changing happen? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's funny, though, when you bring that up, because I can relate to that, too, especially now that I've been living in so many other places since then, is that, you know, I have missed a lot of things. A lot of, you know, a lot of my friends don't have kids and stuff. I don't know what it is with my friends in our generation. Some do, but so it hasn't been big milestones like that, but it's been things like a friend of mine opens a, a play that she put together and I'm not there. Or you know, all these different things like that. So I, I equally do understand that missing out aspect of things. Yeah, it's like super FOMO. Yeah, like I missed my 20-year high school reunion. And at the time, I didn't think it would I would care. <laughs> but then when it was actually going on, I was thought, huh, I do feel like I'm missing out on something. Yeah, time. you know, it's funny. You, I, I'm, I'm actually going through the same exact situation with my high school reunion. This is weird that you mentioned that because my 20-year high school reunion happened about a month and a half ago, and I couldn't fly over for it specifically because my wife and I had just made the decision to move to Bali and we kind of had to save money and do some prep work and logistics. The time off didn't work and I was in the middle of a job thing and I missed it. And I actually felt really bad about it. But yeah. but I'm lucky because I'm I'm in the States right now, kind of in this interregnum period between my two, my two, my, my mm-hmm. places. And there happens to be like this alumni networking event that's happening, and I'm I'm able to go to that, which is I don't know why I just feel so excited about it. <laughs> and now the way you're talking about it, like when you said it, it really resonated with me. I'm like, oh yeah, like I really want that touchstone. Like it feels important to me. Yes, I I feel lucky in the sense that I don't have that fear of missing out very strongly that some people have. So. You know, Tiffany, my co-host on the Bittersweet Life, is plagued by that feeling. And I really don't experience that very often. So I'm lucky in that. Mm. So 
Now, I want to back up just a little bit to when you were in Rome and kind of talk about your experience a little bit. So you went over with, you know, you're one of those people who went over with a kind of a set time frame. Like you knew going over for a, a specific amount of time, you're kind of mission-driven, I guess, a mission-driven expat. Yes. And I'm wondering when you got to Rome, what the expat community was like, or is there much of an expat community that is um, – I, I guess I want to know what the feeling of the community is like, because in Beijing, I know from my experience, there's a lot of mission-driven people. It's about a third of the expat population, or maybe actually two-thirds, but you figure in students and the professionals who go on work rotations. So the population of foreign foreigners who live there and are just living there is kind of small, and it's a very tight-knit community. And if you're not in that group, it's really tough to penetrate. So I'm kind of wondering if you felt like what the community was like, and if you felt a, a, a segmentation that was kind of like that. Yes, uh, it's interesting because I don't think I, because I had no experience living overseas. I, for the longest time, I didn't even think to look. <laughs> I know that sounds so strange. I feel like I know more about the Roman expat community now because of the show than I did when I was actually living there. Um, but, but you know, the way I approached the expat community at all when I was there was basically see somebody who looks like they might live there, who I overhear speaking English and just grab them and be like, hello, who are you? And are, do you need any friends? Because <laughs> I need friends. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. I mean, you say that we went over there mission-driven, but really my husband went over there mission-driven. Like he had to be in class and he had to study, do all this studying. I went over there doing nothing. Like my mission was to write more and to explore the city, but I was there because he had something to do there. So I I was alone a lot of the time and um, was certainly lonely. But I did think that the expat community broke into two categories. Um I felt like for me, because I was there on a finite period, there was the group that was willing to hang out with me and the group that was not, <laughs> or they were willing to be nice to me, but they didn't really want to get to know me. I remember a woman, she lived on my block actually, and she'd been in Rome for at least 10 years, if not more. And we were very nice. Like we saw each other every week. So we were very nice to each other. And we kept saying, Oh, well maybe we should have a dinner together. And then, put it off, put it off. And one day when we were about to leave, I said, you know, uh, we're leaving in about three weeks. We should probably have that dinner. And she said, yeah, because what I really want to do is get to know somebody. Who's oh, yeah. I know. Which, you know, <laughs> I was like, wow. Ouch, I have, you know, I we I have been at the table when people have said that to other people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I get it too, because if you are always there and then there's this expat community that comes and goes particularly in somewhere like Rome or Beijing probably too, you know, where people really want to try living there and there's work that the expats can get. Um, they do see this ebb and flow of people coming and going. And if you know you're permanent, why would you want to get to know all those people? You know, it makes sense. My, my <laughs> wife actually has a story about that and she will talk about it a lot. She'll, she'll you know, when she first moved to, to when she first moved to Beijing, it was for us and, and she had just arrived and I had a, big circle of friends. This is, I think I was there, I think I was there six years at that point or seven years at that point when she moved. Yeah, seven years from that, at that point. And she just arrived and I had a very, I had my circle of friends and we're all long-term people. We all been there five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. 
And of course, I've been talking about this amazing woman who's coming to live with me and, you know, we love each other and all this stuff. And my friends have heard, you know, me talk about her so much, they're sick of it. And we finally bring her to a party with a, my, a lot of my circle of friends are there. And she talks about how she felt like she got the real cold shoulder, like not in a we don't like you way, but it's like a you just moved here and we don't know if you're going to be here very long. <laughs> very, there was right? a very clear feeling that she talks about of them just not being cold, but just being not interested in going very deep. Like they're very cautious. It's like this defense mechanism. Hmm. Yeah, I did. I did have the most success with people who also weren't sure how long they were going to be there. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Like they may like one, one of our favorite uh, couples thought that they were going to be there about as temporarily as we were. And then they ended up staying for five years. But if they were in the midst of year four, who knows, <laughs> you know, they may have uh, felt differently about us. I have no idea. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's interesting. So, I've, I've uh, you know, I'm going to be getting into that myself. Like I, the next place I go, I'm going to be integrating into a community where so many people cycle in and out. And it's going to be a completely different scenario because I'm not someone who's going there with no plan to leave ever. Like just I'm here until whenever I go. It's like we might be there for just a couple few years. And what's that going to be like? What's the community going to be like? What's the feeling going to be like? It's different for me. So I guess I was asking you because I want to know yeah. what it's going to be like for me. <laughs> I have no idea. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> now, one. I mean, I, I think that mixed into all of every place are people who are just welcoming and curious. And you have the advantage of having a podcast too, which I also had the advantage of. And when you have a podcast that explores some of these things, you can get people to talk to you. And in some cases, they'll end up being. Yeah. Fine. Well, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. So uh, something you said, and then maybe this will bring us to the the podcast thing. Something you said, you were a trailing spouse. So yes. you went from pretty, pretty set, serious career woman to trailing spouse. And yes. this is what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> I'm, about to, I'm about to do this. I'm the trailing spouse now. And I'm yeah. interested, was that part of the reason why you started the podcast? Did you need kind of that outlet for your professionalism or – were you know what what was it like mentally to do that how jarring was that um it's not why i started the podcast uh, it wasn't uh, too jarring i think because i needed a break but that's not to say that i didn't have moments where i thought especially in the first month where i was going through a lot of culture shock by being there uh, and i also didn't speak italian so i couldn't communicate very like at all when i first got there um and I definitely had that those days where I felt like I'm lost. What am I doing here? You know, why am I here? What did I do? <laughs> um, I think after about a month that went away, the podcast I started, I actually, when I left and went there, I had an idea that I might want to experiment with podcasting while I was there in part because I had come from an NPR background and I worked in daily radio. So two things that it's, it's the podcasting voice, me, you know, <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, the two things that appealed to me was one, what would be the luxury behind only having to do one show a week? I used to think, wow, that must just be so easy street. I can't even imagine. Uh, because we did 10 hours a week. You know, it was a lot. So I thought one hour or one half hour would just be this languid, glorious thing. And then I also worked for a program director who disagreed with me about some things 
that I thought were true in radio, one of which was that you should really show your personality. And he really didn't like when we did shows where people got to know us. Uh, and so I had come from this very um, professional where, you know, you know me because you've heard me interview a million people, but you don't know me, know me because I don't reveal anything about myself. You know, you can just guess things if you want by the kind of questions I ask. And so I was really interested to find out if I could do a show that was a little bit more personality based and have it work <laughs> like more documentary style and, and show more of who I actually was. And, and at the beginning of that, process it was really hard for me like my co-host tiffany was way more willing to share her personal life than i was when we first got started it's like you had to so, unlearn you had to kind of unlearn all your mm. all your professional practices exactly yep yep yeah. pretty much but that's why i wanted to try it that's so. interesting so then the it wasn't so you didn't go like when you went over you kind of had the idea to try podcasting it was kind of like just like an experimental thing and uh, was it something that when you started doing it, you loved it and you want to do more of it? Or was it like you found a lot of an audience right away? I mean, how was it? How did it go from an experiment? I want to dabble in this to what it's become now, which are you up to 200 and was it 50 episodes? 60. I don't even know. Cause yeah, 60 something. Yeah. 60. It's been on for five years, five, a little yeah, over. How did it go years. from experiment in the basement to what it is now? <laughs> Um, well, it was not easy when it started. Um, it, podcasting five years ago was not as easy to do as it is now. Um, I think not, I mean, I'm not talking about technique. I mean, it was just more complicated to get it on the air. There weren't as many like hosting places that made it really easy. <laughs> uh, it was a little bit more of a head scratcher and, um, a little bit more of a pain in the butt to be honest. But, um, so, and I think that when we started it, I wanted to experiment with it, but I thought at the time that, that more than likely the show would not, would just be during the time that I was in Rome. And then I would come back to the States and it would be done. Uh, like the, that we were talking about what it was like to, to be a new expat and a long-term expat. And I'm like, well, if I'm not going to be an expat anymore, what do we, you know, what do we do? Like kill the show was the obvious idea. Um, but by Who that time, Katie we at the found end? <laughs> a, <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, Katie cries when she leaves Rome. Still one of my favorite episodes. And, uh, and then it's over. Um, or, or it's shortly there over. I think we always thought that we would do some about what it was like to come home. Um, or to be back. Like something about the repat experience. But we certainly didn't think five years later we'd be doing it still. So I don't know. I think we just had a good enough, a decent enough size audience and enough people who had been expressed their absolute investment in the show that we thought, well, maybe it's worthwhile to keep going and see what happens for a little bit longer. And then you start to realize that there, the whole repat experience is just as big as the decision to go overseas and then you we discover this whole other audience that you know at first we didn't realize was listening and then discover is listening which are all these people who want to make some sort of a change or take a big risk but haven't gotten up the courage to do it yet and and the, we kind of refer to them as the dreamers i don't even know that seems a little you know too pie in the sky maybe but the people who want in want to make take a risk and haven't gotten up the Expat courage curious. yet yeah, and I it, not even it's not they're not always expat curious either. That's the interesting thing is that sometimes they just want to 
quit the job that they're on or like, you know, end the relationship that they're in or whatever, you know, move to a different town in the same yeah, some, country. Yeah, we, we forget about um, that. Sometimes even moving within the whole, same country, especially a country like the US can be as jarring almost as moving to another country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had one listener that wrote and, and she actually was, was from San Francisco. And she wrote to me and said that she had been raised by her mother to think that San Francisco was the best city that there was in the entire world. And why would anybody ever live anywhere else? And then she marries a guy who uh, was from a military family. And he he liked San Francisco, but he'd spent his entire life moving all over the place and just didn't understand her fear and commitment to you could only live in San Francisco. And so he was trying to convince her to go anywhere else just to just to give it a try and by listening to the show she got up the courage to move to denver so you know it's not she got up the courage to move to italy she got up the courage to just move to a different state and hopefully that's working well, out well i can i can actually i can actually <laughs> relate to her because that was me before i moved to beijing i mean i was i'm seventh generation bostonian and I used to give tours of the city. I love the history. That's actually how I met my wife. She came on a tour I gave just before I moved to China. Mm-hmm. And I never – in college, people called me Mr. Boston, especially the guys who weren't from Boston. And I had one of my friends at the time, he said to me, you know, he was talking about living overseas and, you know, he actually ended up living in Amsterdam for a while and – he talked to me about like, oh yeah, you know, some of us want to live overseas and you know, the reason we want to live overseas is because the places we go to are filled with people like you. You are the you are the ones who make the places what they are. And there's value in that. And that's important. And I was like, yeah, man, that's me. And then I heard a voice in my head a couple of years later. It said, move to China. And then I moved to China. So I, I totally understand like that woman, that audience member and kind of the mindset growing up. This is the greatest place in the world. And then where am I going to move now? (laughs) Why? Hi, everyone. Want to hear more about the migrant lifestyle? I'm Michelle Ibarra, and I want to give you the tools to live your best life overseas over at my podcast, Pop Abroad. Season one is all about global communities and the people who have created and nurtured them. Pop Abroad is also part of the Migration Media Network. You can find Pop Abroad at migrationmedia.net or wherever you find your podcasts. What was the voice in your head, Mike? How did you end up in Beijing? Well, I I will tell you, I don't know. It, well, I have an inkling. So I heard, I woke up one more. I take, let me back up. So I'd taken, I worked for an airline for in the 90s and then right up till, and then just past 9-11. And I, that afforded me the opportunity to travel a lot. I, I bounced around at Europe a couple of times. I took a girl on a date to London, which was pretty fun. Uh, that was Totally it was awesome. totally awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was um, great. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of great trips. And I had a buddy who, in college. He moved over to China to do some to work on his degree, and then he w- came back to the U.S., graduated, and then went back to China again to start a business with a guy he'd met there. And uh, he, I went. He moved, and eventually he moved back to the U.S. permanently uh, with his now wife, and uh, who was also American, and. But he would go back on business trips a lot and I had the ability to travel for free basically. So I was like, yeah, I'll go over on a trip with you, one of your business trips. So I went over to Beijing, had an amazing time. Uh, then, uh, then I went back again six months later. This was the fall of 2000 and the spring of 2001. And then we actually did another trip in I think 2004, 2005. Um, I don't remember the exact year. 
But while all this is happening, never am I ever thinking I would leave Boston. Never. But then one morning, uh, it was April of 2006, I woke up and I just heard of, I clear as day, I heard a voice in my head and it said, fuck it, we're moving to China. And I it was my voice, so I wasn't crazy. <laughs> it wasn't like it wasn't like a voice saying "burn it all." It was it was me. It was my voice, and I don't know where it came from. I had no idea what it meant or why I would have this notion, but I just had this feeling that I had to tell someone right away. And I called my friend, uh, my friend Josh, who's actually been on the show. He lives in Hong Kong now, uh, and I called him up immediately and I said, "Dude, I just decided I'm moving to China," and he just flipped out. He was so excited, and. I knew by telling him it made it real, right? Some, and and mm-hmm. for something need something in me needed to make it real. And then I just went through this process of I decided to move to China. And then in my slow, slow roll that I that I do so well, two and a half years later or two years and three months later, I was in Beijing, you know, in time for the Olympics. And I huh? never knew where that came from until just before I left, I learned a little bit about my family history which is that it goes way back. It turns out on my mother's side, on my father's side, my family came from Ireland in the late 1800s. Um, pretty standard Boston Irish Catholic story. On my mother's side, her mother's family, same story, came over after the famine in the 1850s, been there since then in Boston. Um, but my fa- my mother's father's side is much more interesting. We had no idea about this until... Uh, we thought his family came over in the early 1900s. That was the story he had told me. He said his grandfather told him he came over on a boat. But it turns out that that was a lie because his grandfather was the son of this guy who moved from the South, from North Carolina. He was the scion of this really rich, famous family that was actually a founding family. They 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 had one of their ancestors had signed the, the Declaration of Independence. And they were from North Carolina. They had multiple plantations, thousands of slaves. But this scion of the family in the 1850s fell in love with a mulatto slave girl. And instead of marrying who he should have married and then just keeping her on the side like people did back then, he said, no, 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 I love her. So he bought her, freed her, and then ran away with her to what was then basically another country, which was Boston. And they got married and had 13 children, but they were all so ashamed that their mother would had used to be a slave and they could pass for white that they concocted this story that they came over from Ireland as babies. Um, and wow. actually one of, one of his children, not my direct ancestor, but one of his children actually wrote the Porgy and Bess. Um, yeah. Oh, really? That's the family. It's called, the, the name is Hayward. And- uh, so you you can actually trace it trace it trace it back even further. So so seven generations before me, there's this guy who leaves his family in the south, leaves his fortune behind, leaves everything behind, and moves to this uncertain new land. Go before go seven generations before that, or several generations before that. One of his ancestors signed the Declaration of Independence, created a new country. Seven generations before that, the original founder of the family in the U.S. came over in 1640, back when half of the crew of a ship would die before they got there. Right came over from England. Yeah. Go even further back before that, one of the ancestors was the Lord Mayor of London or the Queen Elizabeth and helped found the triangle trade like within a decade or so after Christopher Columbus, you know, quote, discovered the new world. So it, there's this weird 
mutation in the genetics of my family where every several generations someone does something really insane <laughs> and and I <laughs> guess that's where the voice came from that's the only thing I can think of but when I heard that story it resonated with me and uh you know, uh, I guess I'm still doing the crazy stuff. Now I'm moving from one place to getting married to someone who's going to take me all over the place. I don't know. It's, it's the craziness doesn't stop. You know, you could look at, you could look at this a different way though. Um, in, in that these people took a massive risk to get you to the United States. And That's right. <laughs> I failed everyone. <laughs> yes, you failed everyone. They they did everything they could to get you over here, and uh, and now That's you're right. leaving. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> way to bring it down. <laughs> it's appropriately dour. <laughs> yes. Sorry about That's that. It's okay. Yeah. No, I, I we just talked we talked about that on our show once where our our intern. Uh, we had an intern for a while named Estrella Gomez, and her parents had had gone through great. Uh, to great lengths to get her and her siblings uh, born and raised in the United States. And then she promptly moved to Rome, you know, <laughs> and went to like where you can barely make a living, you know? Uh, so anyway, we, we talked to her about that same thing, that, that guilt of leaving. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm cool with it. I, you know, I'm actually curious about you. So you've, you've moved overseas now, you've had this taste and now I, how many places have you lived in since you've been back to the States? Um, not that many. So Seattle, New Orleans, and San okay. Francisco. Okay, I have been listening to your show for a while, but I have I I had lost I hadn't kept track clearly. I I remember there was a New Orleans period in there. Yes, I've done a lot of tra- I've done a lot of traveling. And you though, and you went back also. to Rome for like a month, didn't you? Uh, two, two months. months yeah. yeah. I, well, I went back. Well, I did, went back twice. So I went back for one month most recently, but I did two months prior to that. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. It depends on what you count as living in a place. Um, because I, 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 you know, I was only in new Orleans for a little over a month and then I've been, I've done these long stints in Rome since I left there. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I, I feel like I move around enough, not to mention just the travel, like a, a lot, a lot of traveling all over the country. And so I do feel like I'm always moving, like I'm less at home than I was well, uh, so I'm curious about that. Do you do you feel like a restlessness? Are you like you're bouncing around a bit, and I'm wondering if that's a function of you kind of feeling dislodged from this idea of home, like you were talking about before, or if you're just kind of just looking for something. Um, I think I was looking for something. It's interesting because this journey is always evolving. Um, I think that. Once I was not rooted in a normal job, I became less committed to being rooted in a normal job, if that makes any sense. Like I got used to not having a typical work life anymore. Um, so I think I've kind of resisted doing that a bit. And then, um, I don't know. Yeah, I just felt like there's so much I want to see. And, and I think about it in the, in the case of the show, too. Like, what would be cool to have happen now? on the show like what other issues do we need to think about and do so i think that that in some ways has directed some of what i've been doing um the new orleans chapter was for two reasons one i i always suspected that i might want to live in new orleans i i was thinking that i wanted to live somewhere that wasn't 
Seattle because I felt like because I had covered Seattle as a reporter and a journalist for so long, I I felt like there weren't any secrets to it anymore. Like I knew everybody who was on the city council, the mayor knew my name, you know, the like every issue that was in the newspaper, I'd not only knew about, but I'd been covering for 10 years or something, you know, like I just, I wanted to be in somewhere that was totally foreign. And I was thinking where in the United States would feel like a foreign place if I was still going to be living here. And New Orleans had always been in my mind as a possibility. And so I just decided to go down and try it. Um, And I had the advantage there that I knew another person there. So I didn't have to go alone. I had a friend there that had lived there for many, many years. And I met more people down there. And I did not stay long enough to rule it out or to rule it in. There was a woman that that my landlord, actually, when I lived there, said, you know, that a month is enough time to rule a place out. But it's never enough time to rule a place. I like that. And I know, and it's good. And I I think that she was right because, like I said, when I got to San Francisco, and I like San Francisco, don't get me wrong, but probably within a month or two, I knew that I couldn't stay here. Like this wasn't going to be my forever home in any way. And when I left New Orleans, I did not feel that way. I, I definitely felt like I wasn't sure, like I couldn't commit to it, uh, but I didn't feel like I needed to be done with it either, if that makes sense. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. Go back to your original question. Uh, what was your original question? Uh, do I do, I feel well, like do I, you have a, I, do, do you have a I, restlessness I must... or are you searching for something? Like, I, I, the, the, so, so I see this as kind of two ways. Uh, I, I'm, well, I should say my assumptions or my my inclinations are to think two to two things. Number one is mm-hmm. that you know you got a taste of that migrant life, and mm-hmm. you know yes, you're back in America, but where like it's kind of interesting to me you went to New Orleans because New Orleans is probably the most quote foreign place that you could go and still be in America, like. Yeah, you know, yeah, they probably. actually speak French yeah. down there. They have their own language. It's a, you know, it's very unique and it's not, It's like nothing else in America. I actually equate it to – I usually call it our Montreal. I don't know if you've been to Montreal, but uh, – I haven't been to Montreal, but yeah. I mean, people who live down there call it the third world of the United States because so much is broken. Like the government's corrupt. The streets are terrible. You know, there's no <laughs> – the social services, the school sucks. You know the weather's awful in many cases. Well, that that's, that um, to me is kind of telling that you were drawn there. I don't know if maybe you thought about it even before you moved to Rome, but it's interesting that you came quote back to the U.S. and you went to the city in the U.S. that's the most unlike anywhere else in the U.S. Almost like living in another country, but still in the U.S. And I'm kind of wondering if yep. you have this this restlessness is coming from this. I moved overseas. I've experienced living there and I just am kind of trying to hold on to that newness or that, that foreignness. I'm wondering if that is part of the, what you think might be happening. Mm, Maybe at a time, but no, not anymore. I think what happened was I, uh, I got like, I woke up. Like, I think I was always a very kind of curious person that noticed the little things, but I, um, I don't know. I just got more of a hunger of wanting to see more than I had before I left, if that makes sense. Like I'd always traveled, but I hadn't never like actually considered the possibility of living in a different place. And I think it just sort of, I don't know, opened me up to the idea that you can live so many different lifetimes if you're willing to let go of the rope now and then and see what else you can find. 
Yeah, that's a lesson. I'm, that that, that it sense. does make sense because it's actually a lesson I'm trying to remember myself. Like, you know, as I'm about to move to another place, I have to remind myself, "Hey, man, you've done this before." Yeah, but I don't think I got any braver. Like, I you know, maybe I did. I certainly became more savvy. But like, you know, you're moving from China to Bali, and I don't think I would do that. Like, that's I, I still every time I move somewhere else, or if I think about the idea of permanently moving overseas, I still am not totally, even after all this show, I'm still not totally confident that it is, that that's the kind of person I am. That's, that's what's so interesting is like, by doing this program to some people, not to all, um, to some though, I became this symbol of uh, bravery and risk taking. And I don't think I was ever that symbol to anybody that would have known me in a prior life. Tiffany, certainly. <laughs> me, not so much. You know, like I didn't even go that far away to college. You know, I, I just sort of, uh, I don't know. I was, I stuck close to home and, um, and I still may end up being that kind of a person. So, but I don't know, but I also I, to I have a tendency to, with radio, do stories, go after things that I really want to experience uh, or that I'm curious about. Like I've been at the birth of two children for radio pieces. And I think part of that was just like, I wanted to know what it was like to be at the birth of a child, you know, and I didn't really know how else that was ever going to happen. So might as well do a radio piece on it. <laughs> you know? Uh, so I don't know. I, I think I've always used radio and writing as a way of experimenting in my life, too, of, of pushing me outside of my comfort zone and making me try things I wouldn't normally get to do. Do you do you feel the need or the urge or the desire to try living overseas again somewhere else? Not currently. No. You got it out of your system. No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, maybe yes, when I'm older, but not right now. I don't know why right now. It's, I'm sure it has something to do with, I, I have been so disconnected for so many years from the career I built and uh, the people that I built that on and with that I think I'm in a period right now where I don't really want to have to start again. I've started again in New Orleans. I've started again in San Francisco. You know, I'm tired of, I'm a little bit fatigued on just starting again. So it has nothing to do with um, not wanting to live overseas. I think, yeah, someday I would love to live overseas again. I just, at the moment, I don't think I would be able to right. do it. Or I, I don't think I would be drawn to right. doing it. Right, that makes Because every, every time you move, you know, every time you move, you start again and you, and you learn new things, but you also take a few steps back, you know, and have to kind of regroup and figure out like, now what? Now who am I? What opportunities do I have here? Yeah, that makes, that so. makes total sense, yeah. Um, well, then what does this mean for your show? I mean, your your show has been going strong. I know I certainly enjoy it. And I know you've got lots of listeners who enjoy it. So if you're, mm -hmm. if you're not living overseas and you don't have that desire, how do you see your show moving forward? I mean, we you, you touched on this a little bit before, like, you know, the repad experience. And I know you've explored, you keep exploring the themes, which I really enjoy and appreciate and identify with. And that's actually one of the reasons I, when I heard your show and when I started doing a show, it was actually inspired by hearing your show. I was like, oh my God, someone else is talking about this stuff. We need more of this. And and so I love having you as a voice out there. So how do you see your show going forward? Is it something you want to keep doing? Oh yeah. I, I mean, it will depend. If it makes, uh, you know, podcasting 
oftentimes takes up a lot of time and makes no financial sense. So I could see it having to die if I got into a position where I didn't have the time to do it anymore and I financially couldn't make it work, you know. So far that hasn't happened, but uh, but yeah, I think our desire is to keep it going and to keep it growing. And I don't actually think it hinges on me being abroad because one, my co-host is abroad, so she'll always have that aspect, that point of view. But also just because I think that the show is is exploring themes that kind of apply to everyone in some ways. I mean, we've really started um, almost asking the larger question of, you know, what is it like to, what is not like, what is it like to live overseas, which is what I think it started as. I think it's become more of a show where we're asking, what is it like to live and what kind of a life do you want for yourself? And I think that you can cast about in trying to figure out what do I actually want to get out of this one experience that I have of being alive. And that question is just as valid if you stay in your own country. So I don't know. I think it's, it's gotten into the bigger themes and yeah, I still can identify with the repad experience and I've, I've lived all of it and I'm a, a, a journalist so I can, I can interview almost anybody about anything. So I can definitely keep those, those themes going, even if I myself is not there anymore because I get it. I, I have been yeah. there and I, and I think that you displace at least my personality because I'm a personality of reflection rather than, you know, I'm always going to, I'm going to move away from San Francisco. And even if I decided that I, it wasn't the right spot for me, I'm still going to have this sort of regret and like wistfulness about it. Um, even if I'm excited to move forward, I'm always kind of a look back before moving forward kind of person. And so I'm not going to forget the risk that I took. And I still know how much it changed my life and just, and displaced where I was heading. You know, everything has changed because I made that choice. I mean, I, the fact that I even have done this show for the last five years is just because I made that choice. This show wouldn't have existed. So I don't know. I think one of the questions I've always gotten at being a radio producer, and I got this back when I was doing daily radio and had to come up with you know, every single week, every single day, come up with something else to talk about. And the number one question I would always get would be, you know, don't you ever run out of ideas? Like it would be so hard to generate so many ideas. And I've been lucky enough that I never have, like, I don't have a problem with the ideas or figuring out other things that are worth exploring. And I've just never struggled with that. So this show could go on in perpetuity, really. Well, I, I'm glad you had the idea. And I enjoy that you come up with all your continuous ideas. And I hope you keep coming up with ideas for the show for a long time because I find a lot of value in the show. It's been inspiring to me. And I really thank you for, 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 for making it. Oh, I'm glad you like it. That's wonderful. And thanks so much for spending some time with me on my little, little rink-a-dink, uh, rink-a-dink podcast. <laughs> um, it's been super insightful and it's been just a pleasure having you on. It's been great to do it. I'm so glad you asked. So thank you. And thank you for making a show too. I'm, I'm all about this, uh, this renaissance of radio. You know, I got into the art form because I love it. So I'm glad people are interested. Well, thanks in so it. much. Yeah. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Please check out the show notes for links to more information about my guest and to reach out with questions, feedback, and interview suggestions. Don't forget to subscribe and to leave us a like on your favorite podcatcher. Migratory Patterns is a production of Migration Media and is executive produced by me. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.